Let's pray. Lord, we turn to your word, your word which is spirit and life. We pray for an encounter with you through your living word, through the power and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord. And help us today to learn to be sensitive to the voice of God, prompting our hearts, leading us on to a sanctified life, a life dedicated to you, bringing you glory and also bringing blessings in our lives. And so, Lord, let your word uh, go out from this pulpit. Let it minister to the hearts around here that you have created for your glory. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we begin a new sermon series uh, today on prayer, and we're looking at the prayer of Moses, uh, the prayer of Daniel in the Old Testament, also the prayer of Paul in the New Testament, and ending up with the prayer Sunday, which I hope will be the best of all the Sundays in that uh, we will spend and enjoy a time of prayer together. Okay, sometimes we think about it and we get frightened. Maybe there's a Sunday not to come and go visit some other churches because I'll be asking you to pray two by two. Okay, don't worry, okay? There's nothing threatening on prayer Sunday. In fact, we had one last year and I thought it was uh, very, very good. So it'll be worship interspersed with, with the Word of God and interspersed with uh, congregational prayer, led prayer up here. And if you are comfortable to pray with somebody side by side, then that's great also. So that'll be a prayer Sunday. Um, many prayers in the Bible are recorded. Why? You know, prayer sometimes can be so personal, right? But it is recorded for us in the Bible and it is recorded for our instruction. And so we want to look at these prayers of Moses, of Daniel, of uh, the Apostle Paul. And we can look at two aspects of prayer. One is the content of the prayer that is recorded for us. And the other is the circumstances behind that prayer. And I think if you look at the contents of the prayer and the circumstances behind the prayer, it's going to be very uh, instructive for us. Today we look at Moses. Moses who has one uh, a, a recorded prayer in the Psalms, in Psalm 90. But you know that Moses was constantly interceding for his people. Constantly praying for his people. And in Exodus chapter 13, there was this a famous episode of, of Moses with his hand raised up, remember? And Aaron and her came and helped him uh, as, as he was praying for a battle that was going on between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And he was praying for his people. And people helped him to pray. In Exodus chapters 32 and 33, uh, after the people made the golden calves, Moses interceded for his people. He said, he said, don't destroy these people. And he stood between a sinful people and a holy God, and he interceded for his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses had a second 40-day fast, again interceding for his people so that God would not destroy the people who made these golden calves. And so quickly, after a great miracle of crossing the Red Sea, went astray and worshipped other gods. Worship a god made with human hands and Moses interceded. In Numbers chapter 12, when Miriam and Aaron uh, rebelled against uh, Moses and Miriam's hand got leprous, again Moses interceded. Ask God for something. Ask God for healing for his sister's uh, leprosy. 
and Numbers 14, when the spies were sent into the promised land, they came back and they reported and discouraged uh, everybody again. Moses asked God, ask God. Someone once asked his young son, son, do you pray every night? And uh, the son was very honest. He says, yes and no. Um, I don't pray every night. Some nights, I don't need anything from God. So, is prayer just asking? Is prayer like Moses interceding a lot? It's not. And so, this morning, we will listen in to a prayer of Moses in which he wasn't really interceding for his people. It was a very personal prayer. In some sense, we are almost like eavesdropping into somebody's private prayer, except that in this instance, it was recorded for us in Psalm uh, 90. Uh, a, a Christian psychiatrist, somebody recommended a patient to a Christian psychiatrist, and, and, and the psychiatrist said this, uh, this person came to, to see me at the recommendation of a friend. She had been troubled for years seeing um, different psychiatrists and not getting any better. And the consultation had been arranged on the telephone so that when she walked into my study, it was a first meeting. And her opening statement was, well, I guess you want to know all about my sexual life. Uh, isn't that what all psychiatrists want to know? And this Christian psychiatrist says, if that's what you want to talk about, I will listen to you. But what I am really interested in finding out is your prayer life. It's your prayer life. And it is as personal as that. Sexual life, prayer life, it is as personal as that. And when we open up our souls to God in prayer, that is the kind of intimacy that it results in. And Moses was very close to God. Moses was very, very intimate with God. So much so that in Exodus chapter 33, uh, verse 11, it says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. This is hardly ever used of any human being in the Bible, that the Lord would speak to someone face to face. But he did with Moses. So today, let's read Psalm chapter 90, an intimate prayer between Moses and his God. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, forever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger. And by your wrath, we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. 
Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Why did Moses pray this prayer? At first glance, it seems to be like an end-of-life prayer. When Moses was 120 years old, he died at this place called Pisgah in Mount Nebo, unable to cross over to the Promised Land. Was it an end-of-Moses-life prayer? I don't think so. And don't you think that it's very strange that if this were an end-of-life prayer, that Moses did not refer to the great miracle of the Exodus, of the crossing of the Red Sea, of the deliverance from slavery. At the brink of entering the promised land, what would he be thinking of? Surely about God's deliverance. And, and you know that all over the Bible, uh, in prayers and in sermons, Inside the Bible, the salvation of God in Exodus is constantly mentioned. In many of the Psalms, it is mentioned. And even in Stephen, the Martyr Stephen's a sermon in, in the book of Acts is mentioned. And Moses himself mentions it all the time, uh, even while he was interceding for his people. But in this prayer, in Psalm 90, Moses sounds a little bit dejected, even desperate. He says, how long? How long? in verse 30, as though God had not acted yet. Instead, it appears that he refers to, to creation and the fall of man in verse um, 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, you formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting God. You, re you return man to dust. And he was thinking more about Adam and creation, the fall of man. And then Moses recalls the flood in uh, verse 5. You carry them away the flood. Perhaps he was thinking about the, the account of the flood and, and even of Noah uh, getting uh, drunk and sleeping naked after the flood. You can see that in, in verse 5. So I think a good case can be made uh, that this prayer of Moses was not when he was 120 years old, not at the end of his life. It was probably before the events of the Exodus. And I think that was when he was in Siberia. He was in spiritual uh, Siberia. Actually, he was exiled for 40 years from age 40 to age 80 in the land of Midian. You remember the account of him killing an Egyptian and then for fear of his life, he was exiled in Midian, and from far away, he was watching his fellow countrymen suffer in slavery. And then, in verse 13, he prayed, Return, relent, O Lord, how long, how long more will my people suffer in slavery? Would you have compassion on them? Would you satisfy them with your unfailing love? How long? 400 years of slavery. 
How old was Moses when he prayed this prayer? My guess, between 40 to 80, when God called him to go and uh, confront uh, Pharaoh. And maybe it was towards the end of this 40 to 80. I think probably he was 70 to 80 years old, thinking that he was at the twilight of his life. And he prayed this prayer. And he was thinking about the iniquity of man. The iniquity of man, the secret sins of man. And as he looked at, um, as he looked at Adam, Adam's sin, and from dust to dust, he returned to the earth, from ashes to ashes. And then he was thinking about the flood. And after something so great, Noah had to go and spoil it by, by getting drunk and, and there uh, appeared sin as well. And then even cursing one of his sons, Ham, who is the father of Canaan, which is the promised land. Then there is re- reference to the grass growing, flourishing, and then very soon, at a day in a day, being cut down and withering. About the, the brevity of man's life, about secret sins in the light of God's countenance. We finish our years with a <sighs> sigh. Really quite depressing. And perhaps he was really thinking about the history of his people. He was thinking about Abraham and, and his sin of cowardice, of lying about his wife, about jumping the gun with Hagar. He was thinking about Abraham's son, um, uh, uh, learning from the example of, of the father and, and the messiness of that family being lied to by Rebecca and, uh, and Jacob. He was thinking about uh, Jacob uh, himself uh, cheating uh, his, his brother and lying. He was thinking about 12 sons of Jacob squabbling among themselves, the iniquity of man, the, the secret sins of his fathers. He was just um, thinking about the, the children of Israel after Joseph did this great thing and saved the people from the famine and, and soon after that became slaves and became slaves for 400 years and like the days of man just end with a, with a sigh. And Moses himself, 40 years in the courts of Egypt and then had to escape to Midian. 80 years old when he was called to Israel and 120 years old when he died. And I think, when did he pray this prayer? Before he was called to approach Pharaoh, just before 80 years old. And he must have been wondering, whatever happened to the promises of God, that Israel was to be a blessing to the nations. And now they only bless one nation, Egypt. You bless the Egyptian nation as slaves. Whatever happened to the promise to Abraham that they were going to be a great nation, a great nation without a land, a great nation without freedom as slaves. And so Moses, I believe, was reminiscing about the iniquities of man. And in the second part of Psalm 90, he was thinking also about the mortality of man. There is a reference in verse 4, to a thousand years in your sight are just like yesterday when it is past. Perhaps he was thinking about the thousand years of man. The longest life, uh, longest a man ever lived was Methuselah, almost a thousand years. 969 years in Genesis uh, 5 verse 27. Perhaps he was thinking about that, but even then, Methuselah died because of sin of Adam that was carried down through 
the generations. Perhaps he was thinking about Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, this very mysterious uh, episode in the Bible referring to uh, a certain people called the Nephilim. And then God says, I will limit man's age to 120. That my spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. And that was God's curse. And then Moses wrote this. Moses wrote Psalm 90, verse 10. He says, the length of our days is 70 years, or 80, if we have the strength. And yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And then Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so Moses was very mindful of the, the sin of man, the iniquity of man, but also about the mortality of man and, and about time. And at the end of what he thought were the twilight years of his, of his life, Moses thought and he prayed and he wrote it down about time. He says we've got to number it. We've got to find wisdom in time. We need to understand the brevity of it. And so now we have many cliches about time. We talk about saving time. We talk about quality time. We talk about time is money. And then we say that time flies. So save time. What is saving time? In the early 1970s, uh, some of you may know this song, Jim Crochet. Remember he sang uh, this song called uh, Time in a Bottle. Let's see if this works. If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Save every day till eternity passes away just to spend them with you. Great lyrics, great lyrics, but think about it. Uh, do we actually save time? And by the way, Jim Croce, a few months after he wrote this song, died in a plane crash at the age of 30. So his time was very short. But do we actually save time? can't save time. You can't save time. We have many time-saving devices that we say are time-saving devices, like a microwave oven uh, or, or robotic vacuum cleaners, right? And they're all supposed to be time savers, but then show me. Show me the time that has been saved. You can't show me the time that you have saved. Where is it? Where has it gone to? You cannot save time, but you can spend it. You can invest it. And Billy Graham said this uh, at uh, a commencement uh, a talk in uh, Wheaton College where he graduated from. He says, time is the capital God has given to us to invest. Time is the capital, is, is, is the resource that God has given to us to invest. And people are the stocks in which we are to invest our time, whether they are blue chips or penny stocks or junk bonds. Time is given to us to invest. So you, you can't really save time, but you can invest time. And it's different from money because while money can be saved, time cannot be saved. If you don't use it, you lose it. <coughs> what about <coughs> quality time? I think you've probably all heard this, this excuse, especially among, amongst parents. I don't spend 
too much time with my family. I've got a lot of work to do. But what I do spend with them is quality time. Is it really? <coughs> it's, it's actually quite a misnomer because time is time. Every, all time is quality time. Or it can be non-quality time because time is time. So consider this. This second, is it higher quality than the next second? And it's like talking about quality money. If I give you a $100 note, it's brand new, uh, or if I give you one that is very dirty, it's one quality money, it's still money, right? <laughs> so not quality time. What about time is money? I'm sure all of us have heard this expression, but again, it's not true. Time is more than money. Time is certainly more valuable in money. You, it's quite difficult, I, I know, to make more money, but it is totally impossible to make more time. And A.W. Tozer, a famous Christian writer, once wrote this. He says, time is a resource that is non-renewable. We all talk about renewable energy and all that. Time is a resource that is non-renewable and non-transferable. You got time, I can't transfer my time to you. <coughs> you cannot store it. You cannot slow it down. You can't hold it up. You cannot divide it up or you cannot give it up. You can't hoard it. You can't save it. When it's lost, it's irrecoverable. When you kill time, remember there is no resurrection. That's what A.W. Tozer says. So save time, quality time, time is money. We all have problems. And, and finally, time flies. <coughs> you know that time flies at different speed? A couple of weeks ago, I was in a gym and talking with a friend the same age as me. And the friend said, oh, time flies. Before we know it, uh, it's already March. And a quarter of the year, 2014, has passed away. Then I said, actually, I thought you were going to say, before we know it, we'll be 70 years old. And looking at the mirror and looking at our wrinkled bodies. <coughs> because I was obsessed over Psalm 90. You know, 70 years, 80 years, 70 years, 80 years. And so just blurted out of my mouth. Before you know it, we'll be 70 years old. This is um, the. Uh, no, no, no. Not there. Sorry, yeah. Okay. This is the age profile of uh, <coughs> PPH that we, we looked at recently <coughs> in the diaconate. <coughs> People who are above 50 years old constitute 39% of our English congregation against the national average of 32%. So are we an aging church? Then you can break it up further. 50 to 59, we are 22.4%. Nationally, it's 15%. 60 to 69, we are 12.8%. Nationally, only 9.6%. Okay, Above 70, we are better than national average. What does this tell us? And I want to ask a question. What? What season are you in? And again, when we were discussing this among the diaconists, they said, oh, when people get old, they tend to get very cynical. Is that true? Or when people get old, we, we, we say, ayah, let the young ones do it. No? We just cruise, cruise, cruise through life. Cynical? Maybe. Maybe you can even detect a sense of that in Moses' prayer in Psalm 90 when everything looks bad. It's just sin of man and and, and God's wrath and 
and everything just flies away, and, and life ends with a sigh. Maybe you can detect a sense of that. But cruising? No. Moses refused. He says, God, establish the work of my hands. Show me. Show me the beauty of your work. So let me now go back to this. You know, talking about time flying. Yeah, so there is this uh, very famous saying that time flies like an arrow. Fruit flies like a banana. You get it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's called, a, you've got to speak French, huh? double entendre. It's got two meanings, right? It's, it's ambiguous. And it's also referred to as a garden path sentence. That means they lead you down the garden path to, to something that has actually no meaning. Um, so time flies like an arrow. Okay, then you can forget about the second part. Huh? Fruit flies like a banana. You know that, right? The around the banana. But I think this saying is better. The bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. Is that true? Yeah. You're the pilot. But actually, it's not quite true. Was Moses a good pilot? He was a good co-pilot. He was a good co-pilot of time which flies because he let God be the pilot in command. Because he was mindful of his mortality and because he knew and he asked God to number his days aright, which I think he thought he will reach only 80 years old and then he will fly away. But he did not. He did not. Verse uh, 16, Moses prayed, let your work, let God's work appear to your servants. He will ask, to see the faithfulness of God's hand at work. And even through the, the initial first 15 verses of Psalm 90, where everything looks kind of negative, Moses say, no, I want to see the work of God's hand. Let your work appear to me. Show me. And then in verse 17, establish the work of my hands. Establish the work of our hands. He asked for faithfulness in the work that he was doing in his hands, in man's hands. And time is well spent when this tool becomes inseparable. If this psalm was written while Moses was exiled in Midian, what would Moses have seen of the faithfulness of God's hand? All he would have seen was, yes, he was rescued as a baby. Other children died, but he was saved, and was saved right into Pharaoh's daughter's uh, hand. God was faithful, and he was trained in Egypt Maybe some of his classmates were talking and sniggering behind his back, say, this bastard child of a, of, of, of a Jewish mother, but he was trained in the courts of, of Egypt. And he would have seen how God provided a way out for him when he escaped after murdering uh, an Egyptian uh, a slave owner, uh, escaped to, to Median. And he would have seen that God was faithful to him for 40 years as a smelly shepherd. Perhaps that was all he could say about God's work. And at the end of those years, what could he say about his work? He didn't do very much. Oh, maybe I was a very good student in Egypt. I Maybe I taught my class. But what happened in the end? I, I made a mistake. I killed someone and I got uh, exiled in Midian. 
And what did I do for 40 years in Midian? Okay, maybe I can count the, the generation of sheep that I, uh, I nurtured and gave birth to. And so, that's all. That's all he could say. But what Moses didn't reckon on was a verse like comes out in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to God's power that is at work within us. Moses could not have imagined. He didn't even know how to ask about the next 40 years of his life. And God did more than Moses' melancholic prayer in Psalm 90 than Moses could ever ask or imagine. He had no clue that God was going to work 10 miracles through Moses in Egypt at the age of 80 and beyond. He had no clue that he was going to see God's redemptive hand in the Passover and God's hand in the setting of the Israelite slaves free and God's hand in helping them to cross over the Red Sea. All he saw was the teaching and his, his education in the courts of Egypt and his education for 40 years as a shepherd. And Moses could not have imagined all the things that would, be, would have been said about Moses in the Bible that is recorded as God's word for all eternity. And some of the highest commendations about man was said of Moses. Hebrews 3 verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Numbers 12, 8, with him I speak face to face, clearly not in riddles. And, Mo and God defended Moses against the rebellion of Aaron and Miriam. See, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? In verse uh, 8, Numbers 12 verse 8, why then, Miriam, why then, Aaron, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And God stood up for Moses. 21 times, God saw it fit to refer to his law, God's law, as the law of Moses. All over the Bible, the law of Moses. Jesus referred to the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. In Luke chapter 22, 24, verse 44. Moses, Jesus knew that Moses did not get to the promised land in his earthly life. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, Elijah, Moses was there in the promised land. So Psalm 90 has a lot to teach us. And if you want to learn anything, it's just this. Let's pray. Pray to see the work of God's hand and pray for the work of God in our hands. At the end of his 120 years, the last 40 years being, being the most amazing years of his life, I think Moses would have been able to say this. Moses would have been able to say, prayer may not ch ch change things for you, but it sure changes you for things. And when Moses prayed, let your work, God's work, appear to your servants. And when Moses prayed, establish the work of our hands, it changed him. It changed him enough for God to say, Moses, you're a man I can use. You think you're going to 
kick the bucket at 18. No, I give you 40 more. And these are going to be the most amazing years of your life. And Moses was changed. And God was able to use him in what was supposed to be the twilight years of his life. And so when I look back at that age profile of PPH, we have this huge 38.4% of people above 50 years old. Initially, when I looked at it, it got very depressing. It got very depressing. I said, how come we got so old and the young people are not so many? And then he says, no, no. This is the generation of Moses, that God can do a work through us that we cannot ask for, we don't know how to ask for, and we cannot even imagine. <laughs> and this is going to be the best years of your life. The best is yet to be. So what do we invest in? Don't cruise. <laughs> don't, you can go on a cruise, but don't cruise. And don't be cynical. Like, okay, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm 56. I'll let the next generation take over from here. No. Ask God for two things. <coughs> let your work appear to your servants. <coughs> Moses, when he was 80 years old, could only think about the cause of Egypt and faithfulness as a shepherd. Maybe for us now, all we can think about is yeah, my glory days when I scored uh, very well in exams and I got a pretty good job and I was just faithful to God. I brought up my family. Maybe that's all we can think of when we look at, when we pray, let your work appear to your servants. Okay, that's good. Then the next prayer in verse 17, establish the work of our hands. Ah, you pray this prayer, God is going to do something. So let's invest our time. Let's not be cynical to say that this is about it. I'm in my twilight years. But let's invest in it. Shall we pray? Lord, we pray as, as Moses did. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then we also want to pray like Moses did. Let your work appear to us. Let the beauty of the work of God's hand appear to us. The preparation that you have made for us, whatever the years, young or old, that God's hand is upon us. Enable us to see that, not to have that cynical attitude, but to have a heart that is full of wonder. That nothing in our life is an accident. Indeed, you are forever in our lives. And you work through us, different time, different season. And as we enter into the next season, we pray like Moses did, Lord, establish the work of your hands. Through me, yes, establish the work of our hands. And we want to be faithful in little so that we will be faithful in much. Reveal to us the areas of ministry that we can participate in, we can help 
we can serve. And in your own good timing, make everything beautiful. Whatever the seasons of our life, if we are above 50, let this next season be beautiful. If we are young and in our 20s and 30s and 40s, let that season also be as beautiful as we are faithful. Lord, hear our prayers, God. Give us good ideas to pursue in this season of our lives that we might be faithful servants working with our hands with a faithful God establishing the work of our hands. And this we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this closing song together. you to respond at, at the altar. If, you, if there's something in your heart that you would like someone to pray with you, like me to pray with you, we always want to do that. That we close a Sunday service with uh, just a moment before God and that we can pray for one another. So let me encourage you to do that. I'm just going to close now and if you wish to come forward, have someone pray with you, uh, then, then, then please do that. Lord, thank you for your word to us, words of grace, words of encouragement, words that will bring that fire into our belly for this season of life that we are in. Enable your servants, Lord, to, to see your work, to see the beauty of your hand, to appreciate the grace of God that has brought us so far. And then, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Teach us to number our days aright that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Give us a wisdom 
to know what to do in this season and then establish that work. Let it count. Let it count for eternity. So God, would you bless your people here in PPH? Would you grant them this heart of wisdom? Would you establish the work of their hands? Would it be joyful and would it be meaningful? And we don't end our days with a sigh. We end our days with that sigh of satisfaction. It's a job well done. It's a job that God has established through the work of our hands. And so this is my prayer for your people here, Lord, in PPH. And we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.